Welcome everybody to the Seattle Sports Union Podcast. This week we have a very special guest joining us. But before we get to him, I want to introduce the Brian, the Soul Man Solak. And on the boards is one damn dirty deck, Matthew Page. Uh, but enough about those two losers. Let's talk about a winner. In <laughs> former All-American Wazoo, great offensive lineman, George Hallis Award winner, and uh, former pro with the Detroit Lions, one Mike Utley. Welcome to the show, Mike. Gentlemen, thank you for having me. I appreciate it. <laughs> well, thank you for being on the show. And uh, uh, we this this is this is one that uh, I know uh, my cohort here, uh, Soul Man, has been wanting for a very very long time. It's it's exciting to finally have you, and thank you for sharing your time. You bet, guys. Quite an honor, Mike. Once again, like Abe said, it's a really a, we we are very honored, and we truly appreciate you joining us. Um, before we get in to talk about your career, though, I, we know you went to Kennedy High School, and and we know they're Catholic high school. And I know Abraham doesn't want to admit that he went to this other school, but <laughs> Abraham and I went to Blanchett or Bishop Blanchett, whatever they're called nowadays. And I mean, did you did you ever play against Blanchett back in the day in football or basketball? No, never did. Never, no. Are you aware of the high school though? I've heard up there? Them, but no, never, never, never came across them. And that's how Abraham feels about them anyway. So <laughs> it's better if nobody hears about them. <laughs> <laughs> well, he was too busy, Brian, writing his Harley back then, right? Oh, that's right. I, I tell us about that. I heard he rode a motorcycle. I believe it was your senior year in high school. Is that true, Mike? No, no, I didn't ever got them. I rode my brothers, but uh, then okay. my parents found out that. You had to be at least 16 and have a license to ride a motorcycle. So that ended that very quickly. Uh -oh. so my <laughs> when I got my motorcycle my freshman year. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Right on. Uh, speaking of Wazoo, um, first of all, I want to say thank you for not going to the University of Washington. <laughs> <laughs> I, you do it, just every, all our fans could fill in the blanks there, but we do appreciate that. And, um, why Wazoo, though, I, I want to ask. I mean, was it because of Bob Robertson being the greatest play-by-play -play broadcaster? Was it Jim Walden being a hell of a head coach? Or was it just, you know, did, did they bring Keith Jackson in to seal the deal for you? I mean, how did you go? How, tell us how you got recruited to Wazoo. Well, you know what? I'm glad. This, this is a great question. And originally, I um, had the opportunity to go to a couple schools, but I nailed it down between University of Oregon and Washington State. I loved both coaches, Coach um, Coach Walden and Coach Rich Brooks for the uh, the Ducks. And it literally, the night before the signing date, I told my parents, I'm making a decision. And they said, where? I said, I'm staying in state and going to Washington State University. And you know what? I have not looked back. It was the greatest school for Mike Gutley. And it was the right choice at the right time. And I got no regrets, not one, not zero, zilto. That's awesome. And I'm glad you mentioned Oregon because a lot of people out there, Oregon fans, they, they weren't aware that Oregon played football until 1996. So, you know, it's, it's good to remind them uh, there was a period before that and they were terrible. Um, 1988, snow and cold in Pullman. Your Cougs knocked out my Huskies out of a bowl game for the first time in a decade. Mike, do you feel good about yourself for doing that? Well, I always feel good when you beat the Huskies. <laughs> you know, it doesn't happen very often. I was, I, I'm going to beat you the punchline. But you know what it was? It was a 
be honest with you, it was a game like all other games that you had to get out there and execute first play to the last play. And to be honest with you guys, it was me wearing Bone the Dog t-shirt under my jersey. They, you know, all, all my uh, four years of playing, it was, you know, to represent that um, proudness of how I was a Cougar. But you know what? Every game mattered. Every play mattered. Every series mattered. Every opportunity off the field to act like a gentleman and every uh, opportunity to act like an animal, a controlled uh, person on the, on the field. And that's why I looked at it. That's why my parents allowed me to play the game because they made strict guidelines of what I could and could not do. And, and I, for the most part, I followed it. Outstanding. Did, uh, you're, you're, you're a big, you're a big man. You're how tall are you? Like six, five, six, 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 six. Okay. Did you get that from your father? I mean, or your grandfather or, well, you know, genetically, my mom's five nine, dad six four, and let's put it this way: as a little hatchling, I was the smallest of the family. Oh. I had two little brothers, younger sister, and as my dad says, I was the smallest baby, became the biggest kid, and that's, you know, it was learning to scrap with my older brothers, and my younger sister at the dinner table and outside playing. Because I was the, let's get Mikey to do it. And guess who was Mikey? And it just, I ended up uh, competing with older kids. Because um, I played with my brother's friends and so on and so forth. And they were two years, uh, you know, older at least. And then when I got into uh, organized sports it's, as a peewee, kids were bigger. And two years makes a big difference when you're seven years old playing as nine-year-olds. It's a, it's a, it's a whooping. Let's put it that way. For, for those younger listeners out there, the Mikey reference, uh, you would have to have known cereal commercials in the 70s and 80s for that to make sense. But uh, but true. I got it. I got it. <laughs> <laughs> um, I want to talk about October 29th, 1988. My father and I were getting ready. We went downstairs, turned on the TV. Wazoo's down in UCLA. You guys are playing against the number one ranked team in the country. Troy Aikman I mean and one of my favorite memories I have many memories with my father I mean he's god bless he's still alive but you guys went down there and beat them 30 I believe it was 34 to 30 and I don't know if this changed my ways in that because I ended up going to Wazoo you know five years four or five years later because I grew up wanting to be a Husky and that quickly changed but tell us the Tell us about this game going down to beat up, beat up on the number one ranked UCLA. I mean, yeah, Mike, 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 tell us about uh, how, you know, Solak got an awakening of sorts when he was a teenager watching you. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you know, when it, when it came down to the UCLA, you know, they were ranked number one, Troy and the, you know, the fellas, they were great, but you got to play on Saturday for college. And, you know, and it came down to it. On this given day, coach had us right. And the first half, you see, we were getting beat. Um, uh, what's his name? Uh, the quarterback uh, for us. Um, oh. Was it Rosenbach? Was it Rosenbach? 
No, Tim Rosenbach. God dang it. Thank you. <laughs> he was getting hammered. And it, three things happened when we went into the locker room. Coach came and yelled at the defense. Oh, my God, did he yell. But then he yelled at the receivers, the, the get your heads around, running back, pick up somebody, hit somebody. Tim, throw the ball. The ball's not yours. Offensive line, keep blocking, doing what you're doing. And then right then and there, it all turned around. It literally turned turned around. And we came to, we gelled as a team. And I that's probably one of my highlights of Cougarville is the way we all stuck together and we followed the game plan that coach laid out. And it worked out to a T. Was RPM part of your era, Rippy and Porter Mays? Yep, that was my, matter of fact, that was my uh, 1985. That was my first starting year. They started me at right tackle uh, three games later. Um, Mike Dreyer went down with a knee injury. They moved me to guard where I stayed. But Rippin was my first quarterback. And then uh, Ruben, you know, and then uh, Mays for two years because he was a year younger. And then, um, and then ultimately, long story short, he became a Super Bowl champion and beat the Lions twice. But uh, <laughs> that's for another question. Uh, well, I got, a, I got a question for you. You would have played alongside uh, Paul Wolf, I believe. Uh, yep. got, I got my undergrad at Eastern, so I have a certain love for Paul Wolf. I know it didn't work out at Wazoo, but he was immensely successful at Eastern, and hopefully he will be with, Can, uh, with uh, Cal Poly uh, Mustangs, I believe they're called. Um, do any, any good memories of him? Did you ever think like this guy's going to be a head coach one day? You know, what, what, what we have is a, just a real quick, funny story. We were um, at a uh, fundraiser. I was already hurt and I came back and it was for uh, the Cougars and, and Paul Wolf was there and, and we were talking and he was up, he went up, up on top of the stage and was doing his little speech and getting the guys all riled up. And, and then he came to me, he goes, the only issue I ever had with Mike Utley. He was a junior. I was a senior. <laughs> that guy kept stepping on my dang foot. And then, and, you know, the crowd, you know, kind of said, Ooh, I said, Mr. Wolf. I said, coach Wolf, if you were fast enough, your foot wouldn't have been there. And <laughs> then, uh, they knew I was still the, uh, the alpha dog in the uh, Cougarville for, you know, <laughs> for that few minutes. But you know what it was? He was a great, uh, teammate, he worked with us and he controlled that line when he was at center. He did a fine job. Awesome. I, you, you have a favorite Jim Walden story you would care to share with us? Oh, everyone brings this one up. It was my end of my, I had one full year and then it was summer school. And I didn't do so well as a student my first year and I had to do summer school, you know, it happens. But then um, right after that class ended, coach called me into his office and he literally said, boy, sit down. And he was in his desk and he threw my transcript in front of me. And he says, get your butt in gear I am tired of dealing with you. And reality came together. And I realized if I didn't do my part as the student, 
the athletic part would have never happened for Mike Utley. And coach gave me the opportunity to be here who I am today. He didn't get me here, but he gave me an opportunity. And I have never forgotten that man for that moment right then and there. He made a difference in my life. Awesome. Gives me a chill. Right on. Hey, in your, in your last year, Mike, uh, you guys went nine and three. Uh, forget about the losses. Uh, no, let's not forget about the <laughs> losses because there's somebody on the boards here that would like to hear about uh, losing to Oregon. Uh, oh. That damn dirty duck, Matt Page, who, you know, I don't think he was a fan of Oregon until it got cool. But anyway, um, <laughs> well, that was considered like a bad thing, right? I mean, that back then they weren't that great. And that was a major, you, you guys were on track for, for a Pac-10 uh, Pac championship at that point, right? Well, you know what? I have no idea what the outcome would have been. What we we were a better team, but they played better as a team on that given Saturday, and we lost to them. I believe Arizona and Arizona State, if I recall. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's it it should it should not happen. But we didn't rise to the occasion. We did not play. Uh, we played to the ability of our opponent instead of to our ability. And that's the difference. If people, young people have to realize, you have to ex execute every single play, every game, no matter what, whoever you're playing against. Follow, follow up uh, to that question. So what's what's the mindset when, okay, the, the title is out of the picture, but you still have a lot to accomplish? You know, how, how does, how, how did your coaches or, you know, even uh, leaders like you and uh, Paul Wolf? How do you go about saying, okay, regroup? We can still make something out of this season because nine and three back then was still actually a very good season. Yeah. Now, again, Mike Kelly really didn't <clears throat> care about what the record was. It was the performance. The record will show up on your performance. That's what we did. And we had the battles with the defense coming down to the offense side. And you know, it, it got froggy and I just absolutely love that aspect of things. And that's why we became nine and three is because we didn't allow that one negative or the game or the play, or, you know, when the coach says next, it's means next. And you can't sit there and wish you could have, should have, yeah, my daddy says shit in one hand, wish in the other and see which one fills up. First. <laughs> That's the way I hope I don't get you in trouble for that. But it it literally makes a difference when you get out there and you execute of what you need to do right now. Mm. You can't change to yesterday, but you can change tomorrow. Right on. Um, 1989, you are drafted in the third round by the Detroit Lions. Uh, to, I guess I want to say two-part question. Where where were you and what was your reaction on draft day going to Detroit? Okay, I was in Arizona with my uh, agent, Bruce Allen, my sports attorney, Ethan Locke. They had a get together of all the, all the, um, uh, the clients. And, you know, it, it, was, it was awesome. So you're sitting and watching the draft, you know, you're hoping for the first round. Nah, that, that wasn't gonna happen. Okay, you hope for the second round. Nah, that didn't happen either. And then you kind of say, well, dang, you know, but then you get the call 
it was Mr. Chuck Schmidt of the Detroit Lions wants to speak to you. And that's when I knew it was my turn. It was my opportunity. Mike Utley, former Cougar, going into the Detroit Lions in the NFL. And that that moment uh, was a big deal when Coach, um, call him Coach, but uh, GM Chuck Schmidt called. Ooh, that gives me a chill. I don't know if it's because it's cold here or that's pretty awesome, <laughs> but probably both. Uh, really, uh, going to, De- I know uh, you just responded to that question, but uh, Detroit, I love Detroit because for Barry Sanders and various other reasons, but going to Detroit, they, they seem to have bad luck, I guess I want to say. I mean, what did that matter to you going there? I mean, what are your thoughts? Well, you're, you're one aspect of it. You have a job to do. Do your damn job. <laughs> yeah. You know? I mean, that's, that's number one. Yeah. And what happens for Mike Utley, I was there. I was the only rookie offensive lineman they brought in. Everybody else was at least a lion for at least two years. Um, there was guys that were five-year starters. And we had seven weeks of training camp. We had the Hall of Fame game. And so seven weeks going into this, and let's put it this way, when you're the only rookie, they don't want you there. They don't <laughs> want you. You have long hair, bleached hair, you wear earrings. That is not what uh, generally offense linemen look like. And you know what? It, and trust me, they, they were brutal. But now I, I understand it because that's called hazing. I believe in hazing, not hurting. Hazing to make you a part of the team if – you can hang up or handle, you know, the, um, the atmosphere because there's a big difference between college and the pros. And so seven weeks came along. And then this is a story with Mike Utley in the Detroit Lions. When it was the first game, the coach uh, Font says, all right, first team up. And all of a sudden they said, Milenicek out, Utley in. That was my first NFL game, first experience. And that's when everyone says, all right, now, young man, we're ready to turn it up a notch. Let's go. That was my experience. Same thing that happened to me with Cougars, you know, and Coach Walden did that to me and and Coach Fonts did that to me. So I've started for four years for the wonderful Cougars and three years for the um, Detroit Lions before I end up getting hurt. I, I, so I know, Abe, Abe, sorry, Abe, but I I got to ask about the hair. You you defined the mullet growing up for me, and I mean that's awesome. I mean, what's the story behind the mullet? Would you care well, to share? It's, it's called. <laughs> it, it, let's let's get it this way. Um, a little thinner on top in the sides, but the issue with the mullet is my shoulders don't quite work like they used to. I can't brush my hair, so the mullet had to. Kind of get on the wayside. It's it's kind of a wimpy mullet now, but uh, it, it's not like it what it used to be because I just can't brush it. I can't I can't raise the, the shoulders up, the arms up to uh, do business. Understood. Yeah. So it it, it was uh, it was a question of more. You know the the mullet. You know also turned Solak towards going to Wazoo too. So I. There's there's so many things about you that just made him, you know, just just want to indoctrinate himself into that culture. Uh, you know, being a Catholic kid, we had the old short hair by the collar, 
Mm-hmm. And, ah, just, yeah, just, you know, no, you know, it, that just wasn't my gig. And, but, it, <laughs> you know, my, my parents, as my dad kept teasing me, uh, when I, this quick story about, I love my parents, but mom and dad, dad would tease me. He would say, all right, Michelle, 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 you know, you know, and then my mom one day says, now, now Frank, if that's the worst thing he does, let him go. <laughs> never in trouble good advice know, it just, it, it's it's one of those things and so i got i you know the, the teammates teased me a little bit about it but uh you know what it's it's part of the game got a got an actual football question here for you uh enough, enough of these softballs let's get to the hard question <laughs> why was the wayne fonts run and shoot the only run and shoot that actually ran the damn ball like we're watching with the Seattle Sea Dragons, they have the run and shoot. June Jones, their offensive coordinator, they don't even run the ball, you know. And every other iteration that I've seen, they, the Barry Sanders and your guy and your guys uh, were the only ones that successfully did the run part of the run and shoot. Well, you know, we had that with you know with, with the Erickson, you know, and then when we were in Detroit again, it's um, it's personnel, it's truly personnel, and. You know, with with Mouse Davis, he had the, the little munchkins. Oh, Jesus Christ! These guys couldn't couldn't even get rides at uh, Disneyland. They were so short. But you know, <laughs> they were they were the some of the toughest little fellas I have ever seen in my entire life. And I I tell you what, Coach Davis, he picks the you know June Jones when he was with the with the Lions. You know, I, it's. They ran a tight ship, and these guys knew their routes. And I, I, I love to run and shoot, but you've got to have a tight end every now yeah. and then. Yeah. When you yeah. don't have a tight end, you you limit yourself. When you say little guys, you're referring to like the, the Brett Perryman. Yeah. Well, yeah, Brett Perryman. You have um, Richard Johnson. You had. Um, Oh, we call them divot. He was from Colorado, University of Colorado, a little fella. I, again, there was a half a dozen, a dozen of these guys, and they rotated plays in and out, and they were good at their job. They just have to be leprechaun size. That's all. <laughs> right on. Oh man, I, 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 I don't want to lead into this because I, but. November 17th, was it 19, what, 92? 91. 91, I apologize. Um, care to discuss what happened? I mean, uh, about the injury. I mean, what? No, I do not. Okay. Tell us a little. Oh, for God's sakes, my goodness. <laughs> well, you know, take the panties off. Come on, get, put the boxes back on. <laughs> my, my good man, I have absolutely no regrets. You ask me yeah. any question you want. Because you know what, this is life. This is realville. There's consequences for every choices. You know, again, there was a choice I made to cross that white line and got on the field. Yeah. It's a violent sport. I have no regrets. You know, and so my friend asked the question. What what, what was it like? I mean, what was it like? What the play that? I mean, what? So I think I, I think I know where you're going with this, uh, Brian. Um, okay. For people like uh, me and Brian, you know, we never uh, ha- had to experience an injury that catastrophic. 
So what's what's like going through your minds? Why'd you do the thumbs up? I mean, what, sure. what's that? You know, the thumbs up has now become like universal as what athletes do. You know, when they when they're on a gurney being taken out, uh, and that's you. I mean, that, that's you that came up with that. How did you get to that? Uh, okay. What was going on in your mind when you were doing that? Fair, good. You know, a fair question. You know, what had happened was it was uh, Eric Kramer. We were doing well. We weren't executing fully on on uh, on every rhythm. Everything wasn't firing on all cylinders, but we were firing and we were doing well. We we practiced well. Coach had us a snappy practice, and what they weren't long practices. I mean, they were intense. So going into the games against the Rams, we felt good about the game plan and what we were planning on doing, how we were doing it. And we were marching the ball. Kramer came up, and it was a uh, guy, I want to say a seven-step drop, you know, because we have three or seven. But it was a seven-step drop, and, and we did what we had to do. And um, Rocker went to raise his hands up. I went to take his legs out. He caught me. He caught my shoulder pads and pulled me down. But again, I did my job bringing his hands down as the ball went by. So I did my job. He was doing what he was supposed to do. I just got caught. And my head hit the turf. And as an athlete, I have, you, you get what you call stingers, where you pull the covering of the nerves off, the, uh, off your neck and, and you feel sensations down your arms. You get a burning sensation. I've, I've lost feeling in my fingers before. I've lost feeling um, uh, down my hamstrings before. But this, but I have never lost strength. On this particular play, November 17th, first play of the fourth quarter, I lost strength where I couldn't get up. Um, and at that time, a flash of a broke a promise to myself. Back in 1989, the fifth game of the season against Minnesota Vikings, um, uh, I broke my leg. And I tried to get up and walk off the field three times. And finally, a Minnesota Vikings guy came up to me and goes, stay down, we heard it over here. And I was done that year. And I made a promise if, as an athlete, you walk on the field of battle, you walk off. And gentlemen, on that particular moment, that flashed through my head and that made a difference of what I am today because I promise I'm doing everything I can now to walk off Ford Field. But again, it's what I do every single day. I try to get up and lift strong, lift, you know, with purpose. And right then and there, as I was being wheeled off, I heard the fellas say, hey, Mike, we're going to get this one for you. You know, hang in there, my friend. Hang in there, my brother. Hang in there. And then I heard the crowd, and I wanted to let them know that I hear them, that I will be back. And, man, you're pretty much strapped down. And so I, you know, I was able to get the right arm out and do what I could. So I, I acknowledged I heard them. That was a big deal for me to, to appreciate what they did, what they were doing for me at that point in time. That's very cool. That's a great story. The question arises now that uh, follow up to this, when you see something like what happened to Tua Tungavailoa, at what point though do you say like with that Minnesota guy say to you, like stay down? Um, <laughs> I mean, it becomes a gray area, doesn't it, at some point? Well, 
what you're leading into, whose responsibility is it? The players, the coaches, the doctors, the rules. That's a tough Just, one. Yeah, yeah. Whose is it? Oh, <laughs> uh, it's not. Because I don't no. have it. I don't have an like. No, you know what it is? It's individual players take responsibility for your actions. Would I play again if I could? Oh, in a stinking heartbeat. I would do it all over again. Now, every man needs to look in the mirror and be honest. A lot of people don't want to be honest with themselves. Guys, girls, you know, moms, dads, you know, uh, our political leaders in the world, they, they, they don't want honesty. And eh, my memory's not as good as it used to be, so don't lie because I ain't going to remember it anyway. <laughs> and so, gentlemen, that's number one. Now, if the doctors come in and say, you know what, he's done, okay, then the coach has got to abide by that, you know, and you know what, can you, can you override that? No, ain't going to happen. But again, you've got to have conviction and take personal responsibility because you know what, it's a violent game and I wouldn't have it any other way, to be honest with you. Uh, the injury that you had, uh, if you could remind everybody exactly what it is, and has there been, part two of that question, has there been progress in medicine to help those kind of injuries? Yep. I am, technically, I am a C5, 6, 7 quadriplegic, so, which means all four extremities are affected. My hands are not normal, and again, I'm paralyzed. I am what they call an incomplete. I have function and sensation below my injury. Um, and when it comes to progress, it's, is there drugs that are going to get you up and walk again? Nah, it, it's not there. But what it is there is the techniques of cooling the system, um, getting your body um, to stop swelling, the swelling to get down, because people don't realize Swelling does a majority of the damage because it's a closed area and that's what keeps compressing on the, you know, the spinal cord. And that's, and that's what does most of the damage. Um, what people don't know right now, November or um, it's the, uh, August of 2018, I had what they call a corepectomy. I got a spinal infection, T9, 10, 11 vertebrae were removed and I call it a gizmo, but it's the size of red, small Red Bull can okay. that sits under T8 and above T12. Now I have rods between T5, which is between your shoulder blades, and L4, which is just above where the good God splits you. So I am starting my training, my therapy, and pulling my butt up out of the bed with bootstraps and getting every day started like I did. Back in 1991. So all, just to recap, all those C's and T's, that's all spine yep. stuff. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm sorry. C I'm, I'm not that smart with this kind no, of stuff, no. sorry. No, C1 and <laughs> C7 is your neck. Okay. And T, T1 to T12 is your back. Gotcha. And then you have um, lumbar, which is basically uh, working way down to your tailbone. Sure, and then okay. And the nerves comes out from there. So basically, I've been at the chin and I've been at the waist nothing in the middle anymore interesting so, okay it's you know what it's life's a choice is it easy no was it easy to every single day to you know get up and and go to the classes and and do and and 
struggle through that and get to that and, and be a four-year starter for the Cougars? No. Was it easy seven weeks of training camp and being a starter in the NFL as a, as a, as a rookie? No. Is it easy? You know, life's not easy. No one owes you a dang thing. But what, what you owe the world is, is the 100% of your, uh, the opportunities you're given to go out there and push yourself. You mentioned you if you could go back to play, go back and play again, you would. Would you do anything different? Oh hell yeah, I would. <laughs> I would break my damn neck. <laughs> you, know, you know, probably be a kicker. You know, like uh, Jason Hansen or Eddie Murray or some of these other little fellas that played twenty plus years in the league. No one hit them. I would find a job in the NFL that no one hits you for. You know, con- consistently. But no, you know. I, you know what it would the difference I would tell, especially the young guys now, two things I wish I would have done differently. I would have um, hired a chef to cook all my food during the season. It, it's, it's just so hard, you know, being a single guy and I, you know, that kind of stuff or, you know, the amount of food I needed or wanted, you know, to eat and that kind of stuff. And the second thing I would hire a speed and strength conditioning coach during the off season. From the moment I got out of that day, you know, you you release however far you go. The moment you released, I would start getting back on doing that right then and there. Um, Those are the two things I would have done differently if I had the opportunity to do it again. Okay. Um, You would have have taken Jason Hansen's job and told him to do something else. (laughs) Well, you couldn't get away from that guy, right? He was at Wazoo with you and then Detroit. Oh, he followed me. I just, you know, those damn little fellas. But you know what? It was a funny story. Coach, you know, Coach Fonts came out and, and snagged him up. But you know what? Coach Fonts and Jason Hansen was at the right place at the right time. And you know what? He made a name for himself and he's going to leave a long legacy, not only at Cougarville but with the Lions, and he's got to be proud of that. He was he's one of the best of the best, and um, I can't take that away from that little fella. Uh, shortly after your injury, I, I believe it was maybe the next year after, but you started up the Mike Utley Foundation, which I, my wife and I just recently signed up to make a monthly donation to a great cause. Will you tell our, listen, or tell our fans about Mike Utley Foundation, what, what it's all about? You know, there, there's three things. It's uh, research, education, and rehabilitation. And number one, if we can find a way to transplant a cell, you know, adult cells, your own cells in there to find a way so they can reconnect, that's number one. Because most, most spinal cords are not severed. They're, unless you're stabbed with a knife or shot with a gun. They're not separate. They're they're there. They're now the cells are dead, so nothing's going to pass through. And then educate. Not only do you educate yourself about bowel, your bowel, bladder, and skin. Those are rules you can't break. This is real. This is adulthood. Now step up, people, and learn the rules of not breaking certain things. Breaking the rules of certain things. You take care of yourself when you don't uh, take care of your body, and you know your minds. Your mind's the deal. You got to control what you do, what you put in your mouth, what you feed yourself, how you get up. Um, as Mr. Joe Rogan says, if you can get up and go to the fridge, you can get out and exercise. 
you know, that's, that's part of, you know, educating yourself. And then when it comes to rehabilitation, you know, find a way to challenge yourself every single day, do something today you didn't do yesterday. What is it? I don't know. I'm not you. And that's why I tell people, look in the mirror. Where do you want to go? And I tell young men who are spinal cord, your mom and, and young ladies, your mom and dad taught you to stand on your own two feet. Moms and dads, that's your job to raise your kids, to teach them, to be independent, stand on their own two feet, become something. And I tell the gentleman every time I speak to him, your job is to be a person, to be a man and be a protector and a provider. That's your job. Nothing else, nothing more. Anything else is, you know, icing on the cake. But that's what you need to do. So when I go speak to these guys, it's part motivation because you know what? Life goes on. You're going to be here or you're not. Take your choice. No one's going to, no one owes you anything. Do you, do you do a lot of public speaking? I, you know, I used to do a lot of it. Now, I'm starting over since August of 2018. It's it's literally I'm I'm get, you know get back up in the morning. I need help in the morning. I my transfers. I need transfer into bed, transfer out of bed, transfers on the can, transfers up in the truck. It's it's literally has destroyed the way I move. So no more yeah. so no more archery for you then. Well, archery's got you know like I can still do that. It's a skydiving, kayaking. That's pretty much um, on the on the wayside. What, what was with with your injury? What kind of uh, poundage uh, could you pull on on a bow? You know the picture you see there. It was a my my wife's former boss, uh, Ballard uh, Sean Ballard, I think it was. And his kids had a bunch of bows and they allowed me to use those, you know, for practicing and that kind of stuff. I'm more of a gun guy okay. than a bow guy, but you know, it's, it's fun because um, it's, it's all challenging. People are really, I, I'm glad you brought that up because that bow was a balanced thing. Uh, the strength was still there. I had the strength, the upper body strength that came back. You know, I trained well, I, you know, that kind of stuff. So the strength was there. It was the balance from left to right, forwards and back that you have to, um, you know, learn to, you know, to do because you don't have the muscles anymore. Can, can you still go to the range for shooting? Oh, yes, I can. All right. Yeah. Well, you know, the best part is, is when I was in Detroit, all the fellas on Saturday, because we had a small short practice in the morning. And then we had either meetings at night, if it's a home game, or we got on the plane, you know, Saturday night kind of thing. And so Saturday, all the fellas would go golfing. I went to the gun range. I found this thing in downtown Detroit where it's an indoor gun range where you can hit a button, the target will come to you, and the target will go away from you. I ain't have to walk nowhere. <laughs> you know, for a lineman with a bum knee and a bum hip, that was a great fine for me and so i i would go and shoot 500 rounds every saturday on home games okay so i'm gonna avoid all the easy jokes about detroit and uh, we'll, we'll just go back to the regular questions brian <laughs> i've got I like seven to, jokes lined up in my head but go ahead. i do have to ask i i, I mike i heard you had i don't know if you still own it but i heard you had a pretty sweet uh monster speedboat that used to drive up and down the columbia river i believe care to share is that is that a true story and i still have a fountain 29 foot fever as reggie fountain would say this is my ferrari of all my boats 
It's the smallest <laughs> dual engine, 800 horsepower, 80 plus miles an hour up and down the Columbia River. It, the problem I have, I live on the beautiful Columbia River from dam to dam is 40 miles. So the wife and I jump in it and we nice. go 30 seconds up and then we float all the way down to the house and get back in. You know, we'll bring it up on dock, up on the uh, lift and everything. But, you know, that boat is, um, it's a fun story. We, we like being in it. It's, it's a great tool, a great time. But you know what, you guys, it was therapy for me. What does yes. that mean? That I went down there to the dock. I transferred onto the back end of it. I jumped down onto the back seat and swung the swivel seat around. I jumped in there. I jumped from the back seat into the driver's seat. I locked it down, Velcroed uh, lap, uh, seat belt myself in, hooked on the dead man switch to, uh, to my uh, jacket, to my shorts. And then I lowered the lift and got off. And, and I did these things to every day to challenge myself to the next level. You know, it, yes, it was, it, it, it's a fun toy but it was therapy every single time I got out there. And then when the, the wife and I laid on the back end, we sat there and we just laid there. I was an able-bodied guy dating a gal, then become my wife and, you know, letting her drive it and, you know, and all that kind of stuff. And, and it just, it was fun, but there's a madness behind the toy and everything. And that's why I tell people, please don't give up on yourself yeah. find a way to win it's a small win small victories you know before you know it's climbing mount everest it's a year-long thing for 30 seconds on top of the peak now people i i love that being on that peak being in the nfl i love that peak but it took me a lot of work to get to that peak and i have not forgotten that and that's what with the, the mike utley foundation you know, what we tell people, you know, earn the right to be who you want to be and make sure you're willing to pay the price for that 100-year legacy that will happen if you train and you work hard every day. That's cool. One of the things that seems also consistent with you is yeah. you've kept a sense of purpose, even, uh, you know, when one uh, avenue is uh, finished, you know, or one path is finished, uh, you've kept, it sounds like you keep yourself with different targets and objectives that you want to accomplish in life and thank god that god made me american number one and a dude number two because <laughs> it's the thing like you when you were dating if a girl said no next yeah that's it <laughs> life, life ain't fair you know I, everyone god this is the greatest country in the world mm -hmm. we as americans we need to give every guy and gal an opportunity but I ain't going to give you an outcome if you don't put the time, energy. And I tell you, you know, like I tell young men, success comes with time, energy, and sustained effort. It's easy to be a pro for one day. But like um, Jason Hansen, Lomas Brown, Chris Spillman, and all these, all these, all these other all pros, I'm telling you, if it was easy, more people would do it. But that time, energy, and sustained effort that's what makes the difference between, you know, men and boys. Brian, no Brian, do you know who uh, Mike would be good friends with? Former center for the Sonics, uh, Jim McElwain, with all the boating uh, talk. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, that, that, good call. Good call. <laughs> <laughs> you should hook them up, man. 
Um, I got to go back to 2015. Mike Cougar Nation and and Mike Cutley lost a fellow fellow brother, former Cougar offensive lineman Chris Dyko. Would you care to share about your relationship with him? I know you played with him in in college and you became good friends with him. But that good question. No, absolutely good question. Chris Dyko, other known as Mongo, and mm -hmm. that was it was the funnest funnest. There you go. It was some, it was more fun playing it with him side by side because he was sweetness and juice yeah. and was, you know, and we would we would got to the point three years together side by side and ran into a, a he was a gentleman from uh, from USC um, Dan Owens and he played for the Lions anyway he said when we came up and played you guys you manhandled us because he, he goes, we did never face anybody like you two. And so Chris and I, we just became two peas in a pod for, you know, and the best part is being able to have Chris on the Suzuki, the GS 1100 I had, and let's put it this way. We both made it look like a mini bike, but that's beside the point. You know, Chris and I, and he got drafted to Chicago, and he bounced around there, and Seahawks, and then the World League, and we always hooked up a couple, two, three times a year from, you know, when we left Wazoo and, and until it's fortunate, um, you know, passing. But I tell you one thing, I did have the opportunities to speak at his, um, in, in the church with all the, you know, Cougar, you know, Cougar family, Cougar friends, and his mom and dad were right there. But you guys, you know what? The number one thing that um, they asked me to speak, and I wasn't planning on it, but I, I said my things about Chris. But you know, the one thing I told, I looked at the, you know, mom and dad, I told them, thank you. Thank you for raising a young man who is my friend. You raised a man who chose people around him, and he chose me, and I called, as we called each other, friend. And Mongo was a friend. He was a good dude, and his parents um, need all the credit for it because, it, like I said, it's um, it 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 took two of them to raise you know big old Mongo. Awesome. Um, in two thousand six, you won the uh, Walter Camp Man of the Year, <clears throat> which is very highly regarded. It's you know for those who do not know, it's uh, for uh, for people who have you know, done a lot of, uh, for public service, uh, have a lot of integrity, uh, leadership, especially, um, was that something that was campaigned for? Or did somebody just call you up and say, we've been, we've been watching you. You know, it's all these awards. I have never campaigned, you know, you know, myself individually, if somebody, you know, put my name in there again, you know, your actions will speak volumes of who you are, what you stand for. You know, one incident can't define you unless you allow it. And that's what I tell people. An injury can't define you unless you allow it. An injury will not, a situation will not change me unless I allow it. And the only injury that can ever change you is a closed head injury. And at this point, well, maybe not the wife, but people don't say I don't have a head injury quite yet. <laughs> it just, 
you know, having these awards, um, it, it means a lot to me for the people who have been behind me, you know, because for example, you, not everyone can be at top of the pyramid, but the, the man or the woman that has the wider base gets higher and higher and higher. So the people that I have chose to put around me and people who chose to be around me have given me the opportunity to have these different awards like that. The um, uh, Ellis Island Medal of Honor and I mean, these other ones that opportunities come in. But again, you earn your own legacy, but what you do and how you do it. Wow. Well said. Um, how much I got to go back to my Cutley Foundation. How much have you, you guys raised over the past was it 30 years now going on? Or 31 years. Okay. It's probably in the range to three and a half to four, four million, something to that effect. I don't have it, you know, the book, but, you know, it has slowed since August of 2018, you know, with my back and everything. But the, the big ticket is what we try to do is, again, we push the research I'm not up on the research as much as, as, you know, time will allow. So that's number one, but we are in rehab in the education aspect of things, because what happens is, you know, like um, uh, the Shepherd Center, Atlanta, Georgia, and some of these other ones uh, in, the, in the Midwest um, are still continuing doing rehab because if you teach these young guys and gals to get outside, to get into the, to, um, to the stores and to, the parks into the gun ranges and all that kind of stuff. They break down the, uh, uh, the, the, you know, look, everyone's staring at me. Ah, they're staring at you because you're different. But now it's your job as a young man or young lady to have that for um, the people looking at you that the eyeball in you have to stay on you because there's something, you have something positive. You have that X factor. And people always want to hang around that person or a guy or gal with that X factor because people want that. They want leaders. They want role models. And that's, you know, part about what we do now with the foundation. And we just have doctors, doctors call the foundation. Will you please talk to so-and-so? I said, okay. Usually they're at least two years out of, you know, post-injury. That's number one. And the wife generally worked with them first for at least six months to a year to give them, these are what Mike Kelly does. This is what the program he's on. This is what he does every single day. He gets up at, at seven o'clock in the morning now and he makes the first thing he does is make his bed. And then we get everything else going from that point on. Set standards, set the bar. And then when they're ready, then I get to them because as you see, I'm not a tolerant man for people quitting. And so that's part of the foundation. That's what we do now. It's more, you know, educating, but PR to get people to live your life because you know what? It's a choice. It you sounds know, like it's a final cord injury or not. And that's what I was afflicted with. I got it. Get over it. Now let's go. Let's be a, let's have, you know, something you can do for yourself because either you're going to be a productive part of society or you're going to be a burden. Mike Gottlieb will never be a burden. And that, that's, that's awesome. I, that yeah. makes me think about controlling your narrative. And I assume then you're, you're teaching people, uh, Hey, you know, how, how people perceive you, uh, you can, you can change that. You can, sure. yeah. You know, it's one of these things, you know, I, I remember dating this young lady 
when I was in Pullman, my first year there, um, you know, we got there, you know, real early and you know, beautiful young lady. She said she was a senior. We met her down, down in Pullman, that kind of stuff. But to be honest with Taco Bell, uh, to be honest with you. Anyway, so she told me a senior. She gave me her number. I called her up a couple of times and we chatted. And she goes, I play basketball. I said, okay. And she was like five foot tall. And I said, <laughs> okay, well, you know what, Dave? I'm point guard kind of thing. Well, she went, she was a senior at Pullman High School. Oh. And beautiful. I'm 19 years old. She's 18 years old. And it was the funniest thing because when I, first time I walked into that, you know, uh, gym where she was playing basketball, the game stopped. Why? Because I had to turn sideways to get into the double doors because they had that bar in the middle and I turned <laughs> sideways to get in and all of a sudden the place, you know, stopped and, you know, she got teased a little bit, but you know what? That's the image I want to mm. feel when you're a guy in a, you know, in a wheelchair, a young lady in a wheelchair, get up, get yourself ready, dress properly, dress appropriately, mm -hmm. kind of thing, guys, pull your pants up. <laughs> it's it's little things matter, gentlemen. Little things matter when you get out there in the real world and you want to make a difference. Find people, find a reason that I want this person in my business. I want this person in my job. I want him to be my or her my employee. How am I going to keep them? I want him as a husband. I want her as my wife. Make somebody want you and tell them to take a number. <laughs> nice. <laughs> Oh, I got, I got to ask. I mean, my, my, I thought my wife and I were one of the, I thought I was the luckiest man in the world because I have the best wife and we've been married for almost 29 years. But then I, I, I read on the internet. I just, I, I see that you and your wife, Danny, have been together for over 20 years and you guys seem to, you're, you're always so happy and compatible and you compliment each other. I mean, what's the secret behind that? I mean, what brought you together? Okay. The secret is as my dad would say, find one you can deal with. That's number one. Okay. <laughs> Gentleman who's been married 60 plus years told me, when you wake up, say, I'm sorry. And then I said, but I haven't done anything yet. Oh, but you will. <laughs> Gentlemen, I make fun of this. And what it is, gentlemen, be prepared. Be a protector and a provider. That's, those, that's your job. Mm -hmm. But then also have the confidence in yourself to be the man of the house. But again, doesn't mean you're better than somebody else. It's just that this is your role. This is what you're supposed to do. And then when you go, when you have an opportunity, find somebody who's up the evolution chain from you. And I did. She's a retired firefighter, medic, flight medic, and a deputy coroner. So she's oh, wow. the smart one of the two. <laughs> and then if you have the opportunity and you can find somebody who's rich, marry them. But again, you gentlemen know yourself before you go find and, and find that one that you want to spend the time with. Awesome. Nice final words here. We're getting to the end of our show. Mike Utley, former NFL uh, player and uh, Wazoo, Wazoo Coog. Uh, where can people find you? And uh, can you tell people about your website? So where, where, uh, where's the Mike Utley Foundation found? They can go to mikeutley.org. It's Mike, M-I-K-E, Utley, U-T-L-E-Y dot O-R-G, mikeutley.org. And that's the foundation. And uh, they can always email Danny 
D-A-N-I at MikeUtley.org. Fantastic. Again, it's being able to reach out and, and to make a difference either for yourself or for somebody else, but be a part of the, the solution, not the problem. Are you on social? Uh, you know what? I'm not allowed. <laughs> <laughs> the wife does it. Okay. <laughs> All right. Well, fantastic. Well, we always like to end the show with some shout outs. Uh, Brian, why don't you go first this week? All right. Um, I'm always known for having several shout outs, Mike, week to week, but I, I'm going to change that just because after talking to you, I'm, you, you are a true inspiration. And my, my, my shout out is to, to my, my daughter. We have a, a strange relationship. I just want to let you know, hopefully you're listening or hopefully someone can let you know that my wife and I truly love you and hope you come back home to us one day. So that's my shout out. Fantastic. A quick shout out to my son, Vincent, who just got a lead position at Blue Origin. Uh, so it's great to see his career is taking off. Huh? How about nice. that for a pun? How about you, Mike? Um, shout out? Shout out. I'd like to shout out to three people, Frank and Irene Utley, for giving me the opportunity uh, many, many years ago to, to allow me to be the man I am today. And my beautiful wife, Danielle Don Utley, for uh, being the smart one of the two because she makes me look good. <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you. Thank you, Mike, for joining our show. Again, everybody, go check out the Mike Utley Foundation. As well, take a look at us on SeattleSportsUnion.com. Check out our social at SeattleSportsU on Twitter and like us on Facebook. All right, guys, we'll be back next week. Uh, like, uh, you know, on behalf of the soul man, Brian Solak, that damn dirty duck, Matt Page, and myself, Abraham Luis. We'll see you guys next time. Recording stop.